Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. Wow, that was a little that was a little intense for so early, I know, but wake up, man. Wake up and smell the co- It's cold outside. 33 degrees, raining and snow here. Uh, I know snow down on the peninsula and like 22-something degrees in Fairbanks. So, sorry, you guys. Winter's here. I'm just... Anyway, it is what it is. We're going to live with it. Today, full boat. Absolutely full boat. Uh, We're about to kick things off uh, here in just a hot second uh, with our friend J.D. Tuchili from Reason Magazine, contributing editor for Reason Magazine. We're going to talk about homeschooling today, um, which, as you know, is one of my favorite topics. Uh, <clears throat> having homeschooled five children, uh, my fifth the youngest, my my fifth and youngest child just graduated this, la- this year, <clears throat> excuse me, this year, earlier this year, from homeschooling, and uh, that proves I'm old, first of all. Dang. I mean, how did that happen? My wife said, you said something about Riley, my oldest daughter. You said something about Riley being something 20. You you know she just turned 30, right? I'm like, oh, God, I'm old. Uh, Anyway, um, five homeschooled kids and uh, loved it, thought it was great. Uh, the uh, the snobby, snobby elites who have always poo-pooed and looked down on homeschooling got the big wake-up call. As I've said many times, it is the silver lining of the pandemic is that it opened a lot of parents' eyes up to the fact that homeschooling was not as... Remember how they said, oh, it's so difficult. You can't do it. You're not an educator, are you? You just you wouldn't know how to take care of your own children. Sorry. you know. Or, of course, the other ones that said only crazy right-wing Christian fundamentalist homeschool their children, which turned out not to be true, by the way. Uh, There were a lot of especially minority families and everything else, uh, over a 30% increase in homeschooling in some areas. I saw a statistic the other day that said it had had a brief uh, 300% increase in interest in homeschool. Not that everybody homeschooled, but everybody was asking questions, you know. Uh, So anyway, we're going to talk about that with J.D. Tuchilli here in hour one. In hour two, Uh, Representative Sarah Vance from down on the peninsula is going to come on and talk about her new uh, or talk about the HB2, which is a bill against discrimination. uh, And it has to do uh, it has ties to what happened in Israel um, and the whole Hamas attack and the, you know, the world's on fire kind of thing. Anyway, it's a it's a thing. So we're going to talk with her about that in hour two to see exactly 
exactly what is she what is she talking about uh we're gonna get that take on it as well all right <clears throat> yes i had tuesday up there didn't i it's thursday just in case you weren't wondering uh, i had tuesday up on the beginning of the video but nobody noticed except for the 15 people in the chat room who noticed all right <clears throat> well it's time to it's time to go we we are ready to go he is waiting in the wings and i do not let a man of this stature wait for very long because he is an amazing author uh and writer uh and commentator over at reason magazine and if you don't subscribe to his newsletter the rattler all your hair will fall out i mean whatever hair you have left will fall out uh go check it out it's always something good uh, it's one of the first things I read every morning when I get to get to work after the show and do everything. And I start working to my other deal. It's one of the first things I do is read the Rattler. Uh, it's his take on it. JD to chili, uh, from reason magazine joins us this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. It's a little bit warmer here. I think than it is in Alaska where, uh, chilly in the 50s yeah so. chilly in the fi i know it's so cold go put a quick go put a parka on jd you need to you know <laughs> my god you guys are so cold down there uh anyway it uh it's it's great to great to see you sir uh look you know as i said uh, in the uh, in the wind up here uh, i've been a huge advocate of homeschooling for years uh it's not a it's not a surprise but you know to watch the elites and the other people look down your noses and everything else but even people and the title of your article is john oliver grudgingly ex uh, accepts homeschooling except does he really uh i'm just going to play this little tiny excerpt from the uh, from the video cuz i Hey, I'm committed to you, baby. I sat down and watched that whole video from John Oliver. He's not really my cup of tea sometimes because I find him so snarky. I just want to kick my TV. But I went ahead and watched it. And uh, here's just a taste of what John Oliver, this is how he intros everything and says, oh, we're, it's, you know, it's good. Here's John Oliver on homeschooling. The point is the ceiling of how good homeschooling can be is admittedly very high. But the floor of how bad it can get is basically non-existent. Because to an extent that you may not realise, in many parts of the country, homeschooling is essentially unregulated, which can result in enormous damage. So given that, tonight, let's take a look at homeschool. And let's start with the fact that there is a lot that we don't know about homeschooled kids, from exactly how many there are to what they are learning. So, okay, so first off, he's like, oh, there's he he starts singing the praises of homeschooling, which was the immediate red flag. And then he's like, oh, but even though there's a, a huge high, it's great. It's there's a low, low, low floor. And we don't even know how many kids are there and how many are being taught. And and I'm like, what? We, we do have pretty good idea of what's going on because we have this reporting. So this is all it, it's an interesting take. But his essential thing is he wants to handcuff parents. By having government oversight, even though at the same time he's talking about how minority kids are increasingly homeschooled because of whitewashed curriculum. The same people that you want to watch the homeschoolers are the ones that created the whitewashed curriculum, supposedly. I mean, there are so many um, just uh, various thoughts that are competing against each other in this whole thing. Give me your take on it, J.D. Oh, absolutely. But first grudgingly you know let's emphasize the grudgingly here right. he accepts homeschooling as a given 
And his argument is, okay, but somebody needs to be in charge here. I mean, he opened up with a nice piece about a, a Detroit girl, Victoria, who was absolutely miserable in the Detroit public schools, was getting bullied, um, and then described being homeschooled, switching over to her mother, homeschooling her as a ray of sunshine. I mean, th that's charming, and that's what homeschooling can do for a lot of kids. I mean, his big complaint going from there is that, okay, homeschooling works for an awful lot of kids, but there are some people I don't like choosing homeschooling for reasons of which I disapprove. And then he riffs on that for an extended take of about 24 minutes. Uh, but that's a huge change from just a couple of years ago. I remember writing uh, before the pandemic uh, about a big law review piece by Elizabeth Bartlett, who is a uh, Harvard Law School professor, who was calling for a presumptive ban on homeschooling. And that was the state of the debate back then, was that the uh, Tutting class thought that they could still get rid of this nasty practice where people were teaching their kids disapproved ideas. Right. And it was the disapproved ideas of which Elizabeth Bartlett really didn't like. She was talking about you know, these parents having full control over the ideas presented to their children and how, how that might go against what you might want them to be taught in the public schools. Now we've gone from that Elizabeth Bartlett presumptive ban piece to uh, John Oliver saying, okay, homeschooling is really good, but only if the right people do it for the right reasons. That's actually quite a step down from for that, that class of people who were really uncomfortable with the practice in its entirety just a few years ago. Absolutely. The, yeah, and the why of the step down is pretty obvious. Um, yeah, I cited a uh, Urban Institute piece that talks about declining enrollment in, in traditional public schools, uh, district schools across the country, down by, I think, about 3% since, uh, since 2019. Um, to a certain extent, that's because of declining, declining population. But it's in stark contrast to the fact that enrollment is up in private schools, charter schools, and especially in homeschooling. Uh, it's up by about 4% in uh, private schools, up by about 7% in charter schools, and 30% um, among homeschoolers, which is a huge contrast to the decline overall in traditional public schools. And the reason is obvious. Parents are regulating homes, are regulating education across the board. And what they're deciding is that public schools don't meet the standards and that the alternatives and especially homeschooling do. It's interesting to watch because the first thing he pulls out, of course, uh, well, one of the first things and one of the things he focuses on for for a bit in this 24 minute screed is the fact that, you know, if it's something he didn't like, he reaches for the most extreme example he can find. And, of course, he goes on to talk about the Nazi homeschooling. The it is the some neo-Nazi group in the in, I don't know, Idaho or someplace has created their own homeschooling system because they couldn't find Nazi friendly material. Big surprise. There's no Nazi friendly material because nobody wants it except for these fringe whatever. And it's just this straw man argument of let me find the most egregious, you know, vile thing and hold it up as if this is normal everyday stuff. And that's that that's that kind of straw man that 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 he quite honestly, he personally excels at. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he found a discussion group full of Nazi you know, full of I mean, both of them in there. I think I think and maybe there were a couple of thousand participants across the planet who had to make their own materials because nobody um, has a demand for them outside of that tiny little group of haters. OK, I mean, it's a big world. I'm not surprised there might be a couple of thousand Nazi homeschooling parents in it. Um, 
out of but two out of five, real- out of two million. Let me just put that. Let me point that out. Out of two million, there might be two thousand at its peak. Two thousand. You know, yeah. And that two million is a low range estimate of how many homeschoolers there are in this country. Uh, the, right. the Department of Education was estimating three million before the pandemic. So, uh, I mean, it's it's obviously a lot of homeschoolers and not too many Nazis among them. Uh, but he riffs about bad ideas. I mean, about uh, Christian homeschoolers and uh, who's who's controlling what they're taught. And he, he but he never mentions the comparables among public schools. I mean, I cited a 2020 New York Times article that contrasted. Uh, textbooks published by the same publishing company for different audiences in California and Texas, because those two states do their uh, textbook purchases at the state level. So they're big markets and they're very political, very ideological. So the publishing company spins the textbooks for the left for California and spins them for the right for Texas. So you're getting biased materials in the public schools. The big difference is that the parents in the public schools are stuck with what they're given. Whereas the homeschooling parents can pick and choose and say, I approve of this. That's ridiculous. This is nonsense. This is bad material. He also riffs about, okay, what if the kids aren't being taught at all? But we know that uh, standardized test scores for kids have fallen off a cliff over the last few years, and we weren't happy about where they were before the pandemic. And the Rand Corporation did a a survey of public school teachers and found that compliance with math standards has dropped. You've got a huge number, um, better than half now, I believe it is, of math teachers who simply aren't keeping up with math standards when they're teaching kids. So, of course, reading and test scores have collapsed, utterly collapsed. And so you're going to get better academic performance when parents who care can pull their kids out of those classrooms and give them, put them into an environment where they can actually learn. He never throws, he'll, he'll point to the egregious examples. And of course, they always point to a child abuse. You can find child abusers in any, in any environment, but he never points to the comparables in the public schools. Uh, J.D. Duchilli is our guest. John Oliver grudgingly accepts homeschooling uh, is the net title of the article. We're going to continue to talk about this because I find this fascinating uh, and maybe we'll dissect a little bit. I do want to revisit what you were just talking about with the textbooks because, again, J.D.'s whole point on this entire article is that Oliver keeps wanting to put guardrails on homeschooling, but he wants the same people that are currently schooling our kids in the brick and mortar, the same kind of people guardrailing our homeschool. By the way, these same people who are failing in the education of our children in the public brick and mortar schools to do the same. I mean, I mean, why not? It, we're failing there. Why not fail everywhere? We're going to continue this discussion in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues. J.D. Tuchilli, contributing editor for Reason Magazine, back with more right after this. Suppository. The Michael Duke Show. JD Tuchelli, our guest. Bill says, Who is this idiot? Anchorage school board member, president of the NEA? Terry Manu. We're talking about John Oliver. Uh, so let me, uh, by the way, I'm going to drop this. If you guys want to watch this, I watched the whole thing and it's interesting to watch. Uh, this is uh, Oliver's uh, video. Um, I'm going to drop the link in the chat room right now. You guys can go watch it on your own time. 
Um, but what's interesting to watch is how much he praises homeschooling as a great thing now, which is a total turnaround for him, uh, by the way, because he's had some nasty things to say about homeschooling in the past. But because the tides have shifted, because now it's not just right-wing Christian fundamentalists who are doing it, and we know that by the statistics that many liberals and and minorities and all these other things which they consider to be on their team, the elites consider to be on their team, are doing it for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'll say primarily because their eyes were open during the pandemic, uh, all of a sudden he realizes he can't offend some of his viewers by doing that. So he's got to sing the praises, but then say, oh, but these bad things could happen, so you could need it. So you can go watch the video. It's interesting to watch. I'm probably going to watch it again later uh, this weekend because uh, I want to talk to my wife about it uh, some more. But it, uh, it the, the point is that I think J.D. is making is that he keeps going back to say it needs to be more like the brick-and-mortar school, the same brick-and-mortar school that continues to fail our children. Now, J.D., here in the state of Alaska, on our standardized testing, we're like 48th out of 50th on math and science and reading. We continue to fail, yet Alaska has some of the strongest homeschooling systems on the planet, Uh, and our homeschooling kids... Just they they're they're a step above in all the scholastic testing and everything else. And yet Alaska was one of the ones that got singled out in his little screed. It was mentioned a couple times and showed that, well, you know, Alaska, you don't even have to report to the government that you're homeschooling your children. Can you imagine? Not even. I mean, it's just amazing to see this turnaround. Oh, it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, his ignorance of the uh, the field was, I think, demonstrated really nicely when he calls out um, Michael Donnelly from the Homeschool Legal Defense uh, Association at an interview he did on C-SPAN and um, for teaching his kids how to dissect um, a calf's eyeball um, on the kitchen counter. And, and he found this utterly shocking. Is the kitchen really the best place to be doing uh, science lessons? And I'm thinking, where else would you do it? You've got hard surfaces designed to be cleaned. I, we dissected in our kitchen. Everyone does science experiments in their kitchen. That's where you want your mess because you can right. clean it up afterwards. Hey, not I, doing it on the coffee table. Hey, I, dis- <laughs> I, di- I dissected a chicken in my kitchen the other day and then cooked it. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's the same kind of, a, yeah, I know. It had to be the same kind of, oh, why would you dissect it? You need to have it in a lab. Oh, so I should build a lab in my house for homeschooling where I have a perfectly good kitchen that I could do it on? I mean, it's, again, it's ridiculous. And it's to the point where many people just kind of roll their eyes at how ridiculous it gets. It's the same thing about picking out the worst, uh, the worst examples of how homeschooling could go bad. That chick on TikTok that had the list of the things that she did. I noticed how they skipped over like her math, like she had, you know, two hours a day of math and some of these other things. They skipped right over that and then went to all the chores that she was supposed to do. Hell, I mean, my kids did chores. My kids got their schooling done in like two hours a day, maybe three hours a day sometimes. Some kids have got a different learning style. Those kids may have taken five or six hours to do it. But my when my son figured out that he could get his school done quickly, I mean, he did it. And he did all his lessons and he got great grades and did all this. Um, you know, it's, again, picking out the worst detractors and the worst examples of what's going on and saying, see what could happen. Obviously these people got TikTok famous, so they got enough education to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, he found a couple of kids who didn't enjoy their homeschooling experience. Uh, 
But he mentioned himself he hated school when he was in school. And so did Victoria, who he interviewed early in the show. I thought that was a touching piece, by the way, when she just, yeah. you could see her face light up. Oh, she, what's it like being homeschooled now? It's like sunshine. And I was just like, oh, oh, she loves learning now. Why? Because she she found she found what she needed. All right, we're going to continue on here. JD Two Chili, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's do this thing. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy. Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew! I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right, not your daddy. Although my daddy is in the chat room. I, hi, Dad. How you doing? I saw him there earlier. He said hi to me. My dad is watching in the chat room this morning, as usual. JD Tuchili, also not my daddy, uh, here in the uh, on the program talking about homeschooling. He's a contributing editor for Reason Magazine. And we've been talking about this article that he wrote yesterday, John Oliver grudgingly accepts homeschooling. Now, overall, J.D., um, this is what the left is seeing. The left, and, and, and quite honestly, the, the kind of the elites, uh, the progressives, they're the ones that are to blame for why homeschooling became so prevalent. I mean, during the, during the, uh, during the pandemic, of course, they shut down schools. They found this, you know, they tried to scramble to do hybridized learning and everything else. But some of the most progressive districts in the country just refused to reopen. They just wouldn't do it. And so parents were left to try and figure out, how do I go to work? How do I do this? How do I and and, and how do I educate my children at the same time? And all of a sudden you had things like pandemic pods and learning pools and homeschooling and all this other kind of stuff. And parents figured out wait, this isn't as hard as I was told. I was told something completely different, which ironically has some parallels to firearms because during the pandemic, liberals who were trying to buy firearms to protect themselves because they were afraid discovered it wasn't easier to get a library or to get a gun than it was to get a library book. And so all of a sudden they're learning that they've been told all these things all these years and they're like, wait, that's not actually true, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at one, at one point during the pandemic, according to the Census Bureau, about 11% of kids were being homeschooled. And that's real homeschooling. That's not the kids who were sitting on Zoom uh, watching their teacher give a boring lecture or whatever it might have been. It was actual homeschooling. And it was about 16% among Black Americans. That's a lot more exposure. When you're exposed to something, it's no longer an other. And you look at it and you compare it to the other kid who's over on that Zoom session. And you're like, OK, I'm really not impressed with what the public school is doing. And I hope this is not what they're doing every day, but I'm afraid it is. And I'm finding that homeschooling is actually preferable. It's not scary and weird at all. And there's all these resources out there I hadn't known about. And it got normalized for a huge number of people. And a lot of a lot of people beyond the old early adopters of homeschooling started homeschooling themselves. And now they can no longer, the John Oliver and the Tut Tut class and Elizabeth Bartlett at Harvard University can no longer assume that homeschooling is bannable. It's not. Because a lot of their own audience now, the people who thought that they were so interesting, have tried it, liked it, and are sticking with it. And right. so now they've got to move their battle lines back and say, okay, but we need to exert some more control here. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. I mean, that's the thing. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once the once their eyes have been opened, you're going to have a very hard time. And what would John Oliver like? He would like, of course— 
for you to have to report on all your children that you're doing it. What's your career? He wants approval of the curriculum. He wants to welfare checks on all your kids. He wants all these things. And that was the, I'll be honest with you. That was one of the more disturbing things at the end. Again, he pulls out the most extreme examples of, of, of where, you know, parents who were already abusers had decided to homeschool their kids. And he highlighted these points of abuse where parents were abusing their kids and the homeschooling was a method to hide it or whatever. And, and I just got to say, look, that's not most, most parents care about their kids. That's why they're homeschooling them to begin with. Yes. There's always going to be bad actors, but you don't punish the entire crop for the actions of a fraction of a percent of the overall take. Yeah, and let's be clear, parents who um, are abusing their kids and not sending them to any kind of an in a school or teaching them at all aren't homeschooling. They're just abusing their kids and keeping them home. That's not homeschooling. Right. That's abuse. Yeah. Um, and, and he tries to conflate the two. I mean, I don't care that some parents might, might claim that they're homeschooling as a cover. Um, they could also move to another district and just not tell anybody that they have kids. That also has happened. Um, I mean, it, it's there's no way to say that homeschoolers are more prone to child abuse than anybody else. There are just child abusers among us, like there are any kind of bad actors. And we all have to deal with that reality of life. Right. Absolutely. Now, again, going back to what you were talking about earlier with the textbooks, uh, that, by the way, could be a whole show in and of itself. Uh, when yep. I read that article, that was so eye-opening for me. And what J.D. was saying, for those of you who missed it or, or didn't understand, is that you had a major text. I think it was Macmillan, wasn't it? One of the one of the big— uh, McGraw-Hill. McGraw-Hill. Yeah. There you go. McGraw-Hill. One of the largest textbook producers in the country. And they were selling to two different states, Texas and California. So they were exactly—you looked at them, they looked like exactly the same textbook. But the textbook in California— all the histories in it were skewed to a liberal perspective, and the textbooks in Texas, which looked exactly the same on the outside, were skewed to a more right perspective. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, wait a second. Are we just getting propagandized? And yet this is what he wants to hold up as as the the answer, you know, uh, and, and, and that's part of the problem is that we are getting – is it really history or is it indoctrination? You know, again, history belongs to the victors, but I guess it depends on which state you live in, which victors you get to listen to. Well, and then that's just it. And it's key because a, a big part of his complaint, and he riffed on this for a while, was that, um, you know, some of the homeschool materials publishers, and these are the old school ones, are religious conservative. And uh, they're teaching kids this perspective about uh, creationism and whatever have you. I mean, I know they're out there. I'm, I homeschool my kids. And I never use those materials myself. I know they exist. But if you want to talk about doctrination and propagandization, that article from The New York Times was very eye opening because they compared the California and Texas textbooks, because in those two states, which are very large states, textbooks are purchased at the state level for the schools across the state. And so the publishers cater to the states themselves. And the same textbook is published with a different political spin for different audiences in each state. So the kids are obviously being propagandized by the politicians who run the school districts under their control. The difference from uh, the homeschooling example is that the parents are stuck if they send their kids to district schools in Texas and California, whereas they can choose their own values and their own ideas if they're homeschooling their own kids and guiding their own children's education. 
So, I mean, you don't have to be taught with the views of that your neighbors prefer if you're teaching your own kids. Right. Whereas if you're in California or Texas, you're stuck with whatever's forced on you. He kept going on and on about how, of course, how nobody's in charge. Oh, this thing and nobody's in charge and no this, which which harkens back to the whole thing that we heard for many years, which was, oh, you're just a parent. You're not an educator. You don't have the tools. You don't have the ability to teach your children because you're not a professional educator. Nobody's in charge. Well, you make the point that apparently nobody's in charge at public schools either. Uh, Again, talking about how the math teachers, you mentioned it earlier, math teachers skipping relevant math content that's covered in the state testing. I mean, nobody apparently is in charge very much at the public school system because, again, our scholastic achievement is in the dumper compared to the rest of the Western world. If you're, yeah, he wants us to defer to education experts who have seen declining math and reading uh, standards in the majority of states across the union over since 2019, and we're presiding over a system that was substandard even before 2019. Um, Teachers who are not meeting math standards, and teachers who, in the case of the Los Angeles Unified School District, and among others, are promoting the kids grade to grade, even giving them A's and B's even though they don't meet the minimum test standards for reading math and other subjects. So if the experts have achieved failure that way, why would we want to put them in charge of anybody else's education, especially the education of people who are very explicitly fleeing the experts? Right. Clearly, parents are in charge. So there's so, is someone in charge of homeschooling. It's the parents on the ground educating their kids and hoping to do a better job than the experts who are presiding over declining test standards and failing kids. Especially since these are parents who have obviously taken a special interest and gone the extra mile to um, gone the extra mile to educate their children. Now, what I found interesting is that uh, he had, you know, he broke out all these states, these states, just have to report that they're doing it. These states only have to, you know, every year, these states only have to report once. And then these states don't even have to. And of course, Alaska's in that last 11 states that don't even have to report that they're homeschooling their kids. But what he failed to point out is that Alaska has one of the most robust systems in place. My kids actually attended uh, school. I mean, uh, attended. They went to school here at home, but we had support from a rural school district here, the Galena City, the Galena School District, which is a, I mean, that's a village like way out in the hinterlands compared to where we were at the time, five, six, seven hundred miles away. But they had a whole system that was built up around contact teachers who would help you if you were having a problem, online stuff, informational. They And they got money from the state. So not only did we spend our own money, we got a portion of the actual state money that other kids were getting. It made it more equitable. And we had very little. We had some secular curriculum in our stuff, but only because we chose it and we bought it. The state wouldn't buy it. And so there were a few things that we bought, but we meant we probably were more of a 70-30 split with a traditional versus secular material. And, and and it's a program that has just, by the way, it exploded. It had a 38 or 40% increase here in the state of enrollment during the pandemic. And it has grown exponentially over the last 20 years. It is It should be the flagship for what is going on in other states. And yet he doesn't talk about that. 
No, we have a lot of support here, too. I mean, we have to notify the state once that we're homeschooling. And I eventually got around to that because if you don't, theoretically, that might de- that might have denied my son a driver's license. But um, we have access <laughs> to the, the local community college, community colleges across the street um, are very supportive of homeschoolers. You test in and then you can sign up for classes. And my son took biology, lab biology over at the, uh, you know, at college level over at the community college. Um, he took classes online from Arizona State University. And uh, he took um, online classes in calculus. Uh, so we have a lot of support here. The resources are absolutely amazing, both from the uh, state level, the school districts. We also have educational savings accounts now in state, which can be used for homeschooling expenses, which is fantastic. Um, so there's really no trouble at all in terms of funding your educational efforts. Um, and the resources from the state that you don't have to pay for um, or from or you have to pay minimally for it, not be a little bit of tuition at the community college or private resources online are absolutely amazing, especially compared to what was available 10, 15 years ago. So in terms of the the richness of what you can do with kids, I'm absolutely impressed. We had a great experience ourselves. But what's out there is um, is shocking. And it's obviously shocking, John Oliver, to people are choosing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, people's eyes are opening and they discovered, you know, during the pandemic, like I said, they discovered that it was not as hard as they thought. They thought they were going to be alone in the wilderness, having to build their own curriculum and doing all this stuff. And many people discovered, oh, wait, you mean there's something I can just sign up for, plug into, have a teacher there to help me and do these things? I mean, they were shocked that all of a sudden it was easy, which leads me, uh, we're coming up on the break, which leads me to the question, which I'll leave you with before we go to the break. How much of this is just outright fear from the more progressive element in our society that they are going to lose essentially the indoctrination centers that they have right now, Uh, that they are going to lose that. And all of a sudden the culture war has got a shift on the battlefield. I'll ask, I'll leave that question with you and we can answer that when we get back. JD to Chile is our guest. He uh, is a contributing editor over at reason magazine, by the way, if you haven't signed up for his newsletter called the rattler, um, You need to go do it. Go to Reason.com, find his name, and uh, just click on it. And on any of his stories, you can sign up for his newsletter. And it goes right into your your email box every single day. Well, that he writes something, which is most days. It's two or three times a week I see something new from J.D. We're going to be back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. We dip our beard in coffee so that later on we can get some out. That's the whole point. You know, you just want to have coffee throughout the day. That's how you do it. Um, JD Tuchili, our guest here. Uh, you know, I, I know we're preaching to the choir on this. I wish more people would listen to these kind of shows, uh, JD, because I've been advocating for so long. We're having a battle here in the state of Alaska right now where 
um, the uh, the powers that be and and the movers and shakers in the legislature have decided that education funding is now one of the hot button priorities. And they went back and they looked at our base student allocation, which is the which is the foundation formula, right, for the thing where it's just a formula driven deal. And they they find the one thing and they say, well, in the last 10 years, it's only increased by like three percent. And they said, so that's like you haven't given us anything. That's flat funding. So then they started saying, well, you flat funded education, completely ignoring the fact that we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars outside of the formula to increase education. But so they started to come up with this mantra of you flat funded education, you're not doing. more." And I'm just looking at this. We're spending $18,000 per kid in Alaska, which is one of the highest in the nation uh, on that. But it, this is a this is a similar trope going on, that education complex of I think they're just scared to see what's going on and realizing we need to get as much money as we can in there. And, of course, the explosion of administrative overhead versus teachers, you know, we've seen that disparate. It used to be three teachers to one administrator, and now in some cases it's three administrators to one teacher. We're seeing all these things come about. And it has just wrecked our education system across the country, but here in Alaska especially. You know, it, it's amazing how disconnected uh, educational outcomes are from funding um, above a base level. And I, I remember reading a few years ago it was something like three or four thousand dollars per student. Uh, and even that you can finesse depending on what kind of resources you use. But um, above a base level, uh, the funding matters a lot less than what you do with it. And uh, what you do with it is is very, very important. If you're blowing it on a weird and, and unproductive uh, administrator to teacher ratio, it's going to be uh, you're not going to get good outcomes. If you're um, expending it on failed reading uh, uh, techniques like a whole word instead of phonics, you're not going to get good outcomes. If you're expending it on bad math standards or you're not meeting your math standards, it doesn't matter that you're spending 18 grand a student or 30 grand a student, which is what uh, Washington, D.C. spends on their public school kids. If you're still getting bad outcomes, clearly it's not the funding that's at issue. It's what you're doing with it. Exactly. If you're producing a poor product, it doesn't matter how much any you, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. If all you're saying is, oh, we're going to do the same thing. We just need more money to do the same thing. You're just going to accelerate the insanity. You're going to accelerate the failure rate. Nobody wants to admit that there's a fundamental flaw in our current national education structure and education system. And until we admit that there's something fundamentally wrong with the structure, nothing's going to change. Well, and that's just it. I mean, and, and very often you get teachers, professional educators locked into education, which are tense. And I, I mentioned the whole word before because that's become a thing in educational circles where they've gone back around to the to recognizing that phonics works. Teachers don't like teaching phonics because it's not fun. Whole word can be very fun and very creative. The problem is it doesn't teach kids to read. And the kids who are taught by it end up reading, uh, learning how to read on their own just out of interest, whereas phonics will actually teach a classroom full of kids how to read. It tends to be rote. I went through it. I taught my own kid uh, by phonics. I understand why teachers might not want to do that year by year, but it's effective and it's low cost and it achieves the education outcomes that are not achieved by the alternative uh, approaches. But you can spend all the money you want on whole word. You're not going to teach children to read. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the problem is, it seems like the education system has forgotten the most basic premise, which is you have to teach 
kids how to learn. You have to teach them to have a love of learning. And instead, it's become, you know, uh, 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 more of a philosophy, you know, type classes, you know, or or taking, uh, you know, talking about culture and diversity and these other things at such a young age, especially exposing the young, young children to it when they really don't have an interest in it. But you steep them in that long enough and they come out instead of teaching the basics of reading, writing and arithmetic to give them the foundation for learning. That's the biggest problem is we're lacking that foundation for learning. Lack the foundation for learning. Learning in and of itself doesn't have to be expensive. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, a lot of field trips and a, lo- and a lot of fluff. It really can be focused on fundamentals. And then you build from there once you've achieved the fundamentals. But you have to achieve those fundamentals first. And what we homeschooled our son, that's what we did. I mean, we started with the phonics and I took him out and... It took effort every Saturday morning. I rewarded him with a hamburger and a trip to the playground afterwards, but we did it. See, it's reward, risk, it's, it's, that's the way to do it. All right. Uh, JD Tuchilli, our guest, we're returning to the radio here. One final segment. It's always so much fun to talk to JD. I just, I, I love this. Uh, I can't wait for him to come to Alaska so I can buy him a a beer and and we can hang out and, and just do something fun. Anyway, here we go. I'll take you up on that. Yeah, we're going to do it, my friend, one of these days. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense radio public anima number one. Oh wait sorry uh enemy public enemy number one which uh, makes more sense on the other hand he's a little bit of a pain in the uh michael duke show that is untrue i am not a pain in the my mother says i'm a perfect angel and always have been <laughs> the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio, JD Tuchilli, our guest, contributing editor, Reason Magazine. We've been talking about his article just posted yesterday. John Oliver grudgingly accepts homeschool. And the question that I left him with before we went to break was JD, it seems like more and more the uh the elite, the tut tut society has had to acknowledge that homeschooling is popular now, even among some of their people. But I think the reason they continue to press back is that at their core, they are afraid of losing the indoctrination factories, really, right? I mean, because we're teaching, instead of teaching smaller kids, especially in K1 through 6, instead of teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic, the basics, the foundations of how to learn and love of learning, we've got more about culture and you know, uh, patriarchy and all these other kind of big philosophical ideas that they probably don't really even care about. And they feel like they're losing those centers of indoctrination. I think that's probably at the core of what they're afraid of, because if the brick and mortar schools crumble, they don't have a toehold into our children anymore. There's a lot to that. A progressivism historically has been a very elitist attitude with the idea that the right people ought to be in charge and guiding life for the uh, the masses. Um, there's sort of a feudal aspect uh, to the uh, to that view of life. Uh, and the progressives have have dominated public schooling uh, for at least a century now. It's been their way of raising kids uh, to normalize ideas, to normalize patterns of life. And if you lose the kids, if and they already have, I mean, the uh, it, 
enrollment in traditional public schools is now down to what 84 85 percent with uh, the rest going to uh, to alternatives including homeschooling um, once you start losing that hook once you have kids are raised to, to 18 years old before they're released into the world they might be normalized in ideas of which you disapprove in fact you know a lot of them are because that's why their kids pulled them out. So yeah, public schools are a major aspect of maintaining control, keeping the, in quotes, right people at the top. And I think that's the, the element of panic that you're seeing, why Elizabeth Bartlett wanted to ban, presumptively ban homeschooling, and why the audience to which John Oliver caters, I, I called him the court jester to that class, but uh, the, the audience to which he caters is now kind of scrambling to maintain some kind of control over homeschooling, what the kids are being taught, because if they lose control of that, they really lose control of society beyond school. Well, one of the functions of that, and I think you've written about this before, is the fact that government cannot respond fast enough to changes in technology, right? And so what we're seeing mm -hmm. here is we're seeing a revolution in education. Um, there's some discussion. Apparently, there's a place uh, – somebody called me about this a couple of years ago. There's a place in India where they basically are schooling whole provinces – electronically right over the things and they have classes and everybody gets together and it's a he's the the teachers in a lectern and in a hall and but there's 300 people watching him and doing all this kind of stuff and of course today we have access to you know online you know math correspondence and and websites that grade your stuff that talk to you of course ai is going to help with that with explain, explaining things and all this i mean the technology is moving so rapidly it's not that you, all you have to have is common sense you don't have to have a teaching degree you just have to have common sense to be able to plug into some of these things that have the information and it's moving so rapidly they're not going to be able to keep up and that education is just going to continue to be democratized, I guess, giving everybody access to these online tools and access and make it more affordable. And I think more and more people are going to find that it is the easier and better way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anybody who's used Duolingo or Babbel or Rocket knows that it's a much better approach using these apps to learning a foreign language than being stuck in a classroom, moving along at a snail's pace based upon the lowest achiever in that classroom. And it's the same with a lot of materials. You can also, I mean, if you live in a rural area, you can get access to top-notch, uh, you know, education and math. You can, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of online resources that can teach you subjects that you would not have had access to in the old days when you had to rely on whatever talent was available locally. So yeah, technology is moving well beyond the ability of schools. We saw how bad a handle they had on it when the public schools attempted distance learning during the uh, during the pandemic yeah. and fumbled the idea <laughs> in, in a, a kind of an epic way, a demonstration oh, of how not to do it when everybody else had had a handle on it for years and it's only improved since then. Um, so yes, the public schools are slow. They're unresponsive, like every government institution. It's, you know, why would you hand the Department of Motor Vehicle the Department of Motor Vehicles responsible uh, responsibility for education, and that's essentially what you do with public schools, and they achieve the same results they achieve with every everything else in life. Right. The government response and the government outcome is generally speaking, I mean, you know, you wouldn't send your kids to the post office for education because, uh, right. you know, how, how great would that be? But we continue to do it. And I think what uh, I think the biggest eye opener was that those parents that were may have won, may have had some interest previously who had been told it was so hard, they realized it was so much better. Uh, I had I, I probably had two dozen people comment 
when the pandemic started and they shut down the schools and probably within the few months after that, uh, I had probably a dozen people comment in the chat room or on the phone that, you know, we started to homeschool our kids and our kids decided they loved it because they could do schooling. Like I said, my my son did all his schooling in like three hours. Uh, you know, these other students were like they were being held back by the slowest student in the class. And because they could learn quickly and they loved it, they got it done. Uh, one guy said his daughter graduated, didn't even have to finish. She graduated in December, essentially, got all her stuff, didn't even have to wait for the spring and was able to move on with her life. And of course, we haven't even touched on the whole issue of, you know, tech school or or uh, vocational ed versus. I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but this gives them the opportunity to try things out and do that kind of stuff. I think that we're going to see this fundamental shift continue um, and I think you're going to see, and whether it is homeschooling or learning pods, which are still a thing, surprisingly, or, you know, private teacher share, which is another thing that they do. Those are all going to think, uh, I think are going to get bigger as, especially as technology develops and continues. Oh, absolutely. And we use the term homeschooling, but it's really DIY education. I mean, it's a, what works for you and your kids? What do you want your kids to learn? What resources are you going to draw on? And uh, learning pods are kind of reinvented um, homeschooling co-ops, but then you got micro schools. So then you might have somebody who's kind of in charge. It really is whatever arrangement works for the kids that are involved and the families that are engaged in it. So it's not just homeschooling. It's DIY, not let, not entrusting it to some institution someplace and certainly not to the government, but uh, taking a, a advantage of it and being in charge of how you want to guide your own kids' education. J.D. Tuchilli, contributing editor for Reason Magazine. The article is entitled, John Oliver Grudgingly Accepts Homeschooling. He has the video embedded in there. You can go out and read it at Reason and then watch the video and make your own uh, make your own thing. But I got to tell you, oof. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it is an eye-opening experience. We're down to the last three minutes here or so. So, J.D., uh, what else are you working on? What else, is, what else have you written about recently that we didn't touch on today uh, outside of this homeschooling thing? Uh, and what else are you working on? Give us a sneak peek of what we can expect if we subscribe to The Rattler, your weekly news, well, uh, or bi-weekly news, however, you, two or three times a week, you're three, putting stuff Three out. times a week. Three yeah. times a week. There you oh, go. And I'm also, if you have an audience across the border in America's hat, I'm also writing a weekly column for the National Post now. So oh, uh, okay. explaining American politics to them. So, um, but um, my last piece was relevant to what we've been discussing here, which is how a lot of public schools have become mini surveillance states. And they're normalizing the idea that you're constantly being monitored and that you're constantly under somebody's scrutiny. So that's yet another reason to reconsider sending your kids into those schools. Yeah. And then, of course, with the with Hamas's murderous attack on Israel this week, uh, my next piece is going to be on um, how Israel is loosening for the second time this year their gun control laws, right. and uh, to make it more uh, to make it easier for Israelis yeah. to arm themselves and engage their own self defense. Because even one of the better uh, defended states uh, in the world could not have their security forces everywhere. And that's always the case. I mean, yeah. the, the fastest responder is the person who's always on the scene. And unfortunately, that's you, that's me, that's whoever is going to be a victim otherwise. Right. Well, that's our Firearms Friday axiom is when seconds count, the police are only minutes away, right? I mean, you have to be that's responsible right. for your own protection. The article that you talked about with school surveillance uh, was fascinating. And it reminded me again, because you mentioned it in there and I brought it up, I think yesterday or the day before, that an astonishing 20 something percent of uh the uh like the 20 year olds 20 to 25 year olds like 25 percent of them said 
they would be okay with surveillance cameras in people's homes being watched yep. by the government to protect from domestic violence or something. And I just thought, what? 20, I mean, they are okay with the government putting cameras in everybody's home. I mean, the right to privacy out the window. This is what comes from these type of indoctrination centers in the public schools, right? I mean, is that kind of mentality? It's normalizing behavior. If you raise kids in an environment for 18 years, they're going to think that environment is normal. And even if it's a weird environment, one to which we object, that is going to be normalized for them. Surveillance is part of that. And it's a bad idea, I think, to raise kids to believe that they ought to be under somebody's scrutiny at all times, that somehow that keeps them safer because it doesn't and it's not healthy. They call it Big Brother for a reason, right? I mean, this is this this is exactly what Orwell wrote about the Big Brother at every you know at every turn. This is what China has with their conscience, their their uh, social uh, uh, scoring, and everything, right? Watching yeah. you wherever you go. Don't drop that piece of litter. Don't do this because you could be. I mean, if they think that is great, I, I mean, I I'm. I fear for the country. I fear for freedom in uh, what is ostensibly still the freest nation on earth. I fear for that freedom when you've got a whole generation that's like, eh, sure, watch me. I don't care. That'll be fine. Nothing bad will come out of that. There's been no government abuse on surveillance anywhere at any time in any place. J.D. Tuchilli, um, thanks so much for coming on board. Uh, again, you're doing some amazing writing. Uh, I can't sing your praises enough. I love uh, I love reason, and it's my go-to for pretty much everything. We're <laughs> we're going to uh, uh, have you back on here, I'm sure, in the near future. Hold the line for a second, but I appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for having me on. Uh, again, Reason Magazine at reason.com. You can also subscribe to the paper, like, you know, a magazine magazine. That's weird, I know, but you could subscribe to that as well, or you can get his newsletter called The Rattler. Uh, just go to his uh, whatever story it is and subscribe there. We got more coming up. Uh, Representative Sarah Vance in hour two, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. <laughs> I see Donna. Donna is just aching for a Facebook jail ban. She says, "What's a good caliber for shooting out cameras?" Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, that's the other thing that, that catches me on this kind of surveillance stuff. Because I and I was actually thinking that when I was reading uh, what JD and the fact that the Anchorage police now are talking about getting license plate scanners in uh, in Anchorage oh. to scan license plates, and I'm like, you know, a 22 would fix that right away i mean you know it, it's again do we need a surveillance state it's all for your own good it's for the children it's for the you know it's all this kind of stuff and it's just it's so frustrating to watch jd but i think the bright side as we've seen is that more and more people are waking up i'll give you your final thoughts here on this topic before i let you go more and more people are waking up the fact that you're seeing alternatives to traditional institutions i mean homeschooling private schools all these things are happening to do with diy education but are also happening in other areas of life uh, it's healthy it means that people are saying not only they're dissatisfied with the standard issue offerings and they're not happy with how government manages things but they're perfectly capable of taking responsibility for their own lives their education their safety and we're building um we're building alternatives to institutions that are not only are not good but are actually failing so that we have that backup there we have the ability to take care of ourselves as the established government institutions kind of crumble and, and maybe even go away at some point. 
Do you, I guess I, I lied. This is my final question. Do you think? <laughs> do you think that there's hope that that the needle is shifting? That more people are. I mean, we're seeing. We saw it with the homeschooling. We're seeing it with people being frustrated with the transparency in government and, and some of the actions and things like that. Do you think the pendulum is swinging back towards more of a freedom aspect? Uh, that that people are realizing the government is not necessarily the answer to everything as we've been taught in schools for the last 60 years? It's shifting for part of society. We live in a more fragmented society than we have in quite some time. I mean, it's been fragmented in the past, but we weren't accustomed to that in our lifetimes. So for a big segment of society, whatever percentage it might be, yes, people are valuing liberty, privacy, um, alternatives to government institutions in very important ways. There are other fragments of our society that want more control that are not um, pro-liberty. So we're going to need to deal with the fact that we have a fragmented society. You've got authoritarians among us, but you also have people among us who want to be free. And somehow we need to live side by side, or at the very least, make sure the authoritarians can inflict their will on the rest of us. J.D. Tuchilli, Reason Magazine. Uh, can't thank you enough, my friend. Uh, as always, it's great to uh, it's great to talk to you, and uh, I love I love having you on. So keep up the good work. Um, again, if everybody who's all fifty people who are watching this right now on the various uh, socials, if you're not subscribed to his uh, to his newsletter, you missing out. So go check it out, J.D. Thanks, my. What are you coming to Alaska, man? I I do. You know, come take a vacation. It's been too long. Yeah, come take a vacation and enjoy yourself. I'll make sure I'll show you a good time. We'll 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 have some fun. Um we'll, we'll plan on that, but probably not during the winter. Yeah, well, are you sure? Because it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful here during the winter. Well, we'll we'll hook you up like a tow truck. We'll get you some fishing charters or something. We'll do something fun. But uh yeah, I would love to have you on board and uh and to just to hang out and uh and meet the fam and everything else. So, JD, thank you so much for coming on board. My pleasure. J.D. Tuchilli, Reason Magazine. Again, go subscribe now uh, and do it. Uh, I'm just uh, sending a message to um, uh, Sarah Vance to get her <clears throat> on board this morning. All right. Um, such oh, Man, it's good stuff. It, it really really is i can't tell you how much i enjoy talking to jd um and i just i'm just so impressed with uh, his whole his whole discussion on everything um all right we are about uh, two and a half minutes from the show kicking off here for hour two. Oh, hey look somebody just popped into the green room she's eating my donuts uh it is uh representative sarah vance i see her down there so shall we test the audio Let's do that. Let's make sure she's A-OK here this morning, and we'll get her all scored away. Good morning, Representative. How are you this morning? Good morning. Bright and, bright and shining. Yeah, it wasn't early. You'll note that I didn't ask you to come on in the 6 o'clock hour. I did. Yeah. Thank you. I did. That's because that's the kind of guy I am. Also, it was yeah. easier for J.D. because he's in Central Time or Mountain Time, so don't worry about it. I figured it'd be easier for him to do the earlier one. Uh, all right. So uh, we're ready to jump into this. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, HB2, your thoughts on it. You have the opinion piece. I saw your article in the email, and then I saw it got posted by Must Read, so we'll talk about that. And then um, anything else you want to talk about? We could take the full hour if you want. If you want to hang out for the full hour, I'm down with that. Whatever you want to do. Uh, just think of it as a 
coffee clatch this morning. We're just going to, except I don't have any coffee yet. I, I didn't even have cold coffee this morning. I, I know, but I got the, you know, I, I did put the chemicals in my body to jack me up. So I'm all, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Uh, so if you hold the line for us, we'll be right back to you. So don't eat all the donuts in the, in the green room. Okay. I'll be right back to you. She's I did take all the calories out of all the donuts in the virtual the virtual donuts in the virtual green room. They're all there. All right. I wish I had enough time to go through every comment that had happened here uh, during my take with um, uh, with JD. How about a homeschool field trip to the Michael Duke show? Oh, that'd be kind of fun, except for it would literally be a homeschool field trip because my studio is in my home. And uh, it's up in the loft, and it's this little... You couldn't fit two people in this studio. Well, you could, but they'd be behind me. So it's a it's a little tiny thing. But, you know, it's fine. Um, all kinds of stuff here. Uh, so many good comments. You guys, I appreciate your comments. And I'm sorry that sometimes I get sucked into it and uh, don't... Uh, she's eating my donuts, says Jeannie. Hey, there's enough virtual donuts for all of you. Um, all right, let's go. Here we go. The Michael Duke show common sense radio. Uh, let's do it. Hour two right now. Yep. Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast. And we are uh, continuing. We just finished up with J.D. Tuchilli from Reason Magazine talking about uh, homeschooling and the tut-tut classes of... grudging acceptance of homeschooling. If you did, if you missed it, you can go back and listen on the podcast or go back and watch on the replay on Facebook. Uh, some great stuff with JD Two chili. I love it. Uh, coming up in this hour, representative Sarah Vance, who's waiting in the wings is about to join us to talk about HB two. Dick just said, do we ever have any reps on besides Carpenter and Vance? Well, let's see. We have shower on, we've had Shelly Hughes on, we had uh, Rob Myers on earlier. Uh, yesterday we have yeah dick you just got to get up a little earlier and get both hours uh i don't think sarah's been on for probably three or four or five weeks now so yes we always have more and if you know of anybody else that would like to come on dick you're welcome to call them and bring them on board and talk about i love to talk in case you hadn't noticed uh today we're going to talk with sarah vance about hb2 which is a new bill uh the israel the israel anti-discrimination act 
and um, she's going to talk a little bit about this. She's got a piece out uh, that she published uh, yesterday. I saw it got pushed out. I got a copy of it, and then Must Read Alaska picked it up, so it's in there. I had no idea that uh, that Alaska had uh, some pretty close ties to some of the things that are going on in Israel, um, and I find that fascinating. And so we're going to talk to her about that and anything else that she wants to talk about later on. We may keep her for the full hour. Let's just get things started. Let's just let's get let's get these wagons rolling and see what's uh, going on. Representative Sarah Vance joins us this morning uh, to discuss. Good morning, Representative. How are you on this beautiful snowy? Is it snowing down in Homer? Is it? It did. It did. I stepped outside briefly to let my little dachshund out and saw that there was actually snow sticking to our grass. Yeah. Little white little white flurries out there. I'm it's early. It's yeah. it's only the 12th of October and it's like 2 weeks early in town. Yeah, uh, the, the the thing in Anchorage I for this morning that I read was that uh you know, we got about a tenth of an inch yesterday and if it sticks it'll be an early early snow cuz the average uh snow is the 17th. The average first snow in the Anchorage Matsu area is the 17th. So, it would be early. I'm fingers crossed. I'm still going for the no sticking snow till after Halloween. That's my that's I'm just looking for a little bit more. We had such a crappy summer. I'm just hoping for a little bit more before we hit the dead of winter. I know. I I um had bought some new sandals because I was actually uh gonna be going heading to Israel at the end of the month. So I was trying to break them in, in the house and they yeah. were so comfortable. And now I'm so disappointed because Obviously, I'm not going to Israel, and I can't wear my right. fantastic sandals. But, um, you know, that's first world problems, being <laughs> as there's uh, just heart-wrenching things going on yeah. in Israel. And um, it's it's things that we just did not think that we would see happening to the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Yeah, no, I uh, it, it when I saw what happened, and of course I was... Uh, um, I disconnect on the weekends, right? So I don't, I don't pay attention to the news. I don't do that. So it was Sunday night when I first discovered what was going on, uh, doing a little prep for the show for the next morning. And, uh, yeah, it was shocking, shocking to see the visuals, shocking to see the images and realizing how much, how much hate is still in the world and how much evil is still in the world. And, um, and you know, my heart goes out to what's going on out there. So let, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to have a platform to recap your, your, uh, your article here to tell the stories, to talk about HB2. Uh, I found interesting the, 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 uh, how Alaska is tied to, I didn't realize, you know, rocket tests and everything. Else. So just start from the beginning and give us the rundown here of what, uh, what your article says and, uh, what your thoughts are on, uh, on what's going on right now. Well, thanks, Michael. I introduced this bill, I believe about three years ago. So this is not something that suddenly came to mind, uh, with the war breaking out in Israel. This is something that uh, was brought to me saying, we need to do something about this. Uh, this in Israel Anti-Discrimination Act has been passed by 36 states across the nation. There is a similar bill in Congress, and um, it, it simply is making sure that our Alaskan dollars are not funding anti-discriminatory acts towards Israel based upon their race or religion. And um, the, the area of control that we have in the state is with our state contracts. It says any 
anything over $100,000, we're not going to do business with them if if they're making um, these discriminatory actions, boycotting them, and um, really putting our money where our mouth is. But, you know, when we look back at the history of Alaska, it's not just because we care about human rights and uh, standing up against discrimination. It's we have some incredible people, Jewish people in our state history who have contributed in a very big way. And I was able to take a look at that and learn the rich history in the relationship that we have with uh, the Jewish people in founding our state. Uh, it was really beautiful. If if people are interested in that, uh, they can go to the, uh, the House State Affairs Committee and listen to that. But like you mentioned, uh, we do the Arrow 3 testing of the missiles on Kodiak. And, uh, you know, that's instrumental to what is happening right now. Uh, we have about 62 million in exports to Israel. There's been a longstanding positive relationship. But ultimately, we are allies with Israel and we are their their best defense as Americans. And this bill really reinforces that. And um, the reason that I did an op-ed is just to really educate the people that this is something tangible that we can do. Uh, because as we're watching these events play out in the news, it's heartbreaking and we feel helpless. Uh, we feel like there's nothing that we can do to help these people all the way across the world. But in fact, we can do something as a state to say, no, we're not going to take part in this terrorism. We're not going to fund it with Alaskan dollars. And um, just reminding people that we still have an opportunity in our hands to take action. Now, you said you introduced this bill a couple of years ago. Obviously, no tra- no traction, right? I mean, it just does not seem to be going anywhere. Uh, unfortunately, that is uh, one of the byproducts of being in the minority. Uh, you know, I I made my case to the chairman at the time, and they told me this is a great bill. Maybe if if uh, you didn't carry it and we did, then we could pass it. Uh, it's unfortunate that some members of the legislature were taking that attitude, but here we are. We still have an opportunity to do the right thing. Right, because now being in the majority, you have an, an opportunity to push it. And circumstances being what they are, this might also light a little bit of a fire under folks to uh, to have a point. And I think it's a good idea to, you know, to take a look at, especially when you're talking about millions and millions of dollars potentially in the long term and in the overall picture and scope of things to see, yeah, we need to make sure that our money is going to something that is good and wholesome and uh, and uplifting and building and not destructive and not divisive and not, you know, polarizing and quite honestly, not evil. I mean, that's that's the thing. Uh, I mean, I'm going to call a spade a spade. What uh, the people like Hamas and Hezbollah do, that is evil. There is no there is no two ways about it. That's not just, oh, I have a belief and I'm going to do it. That is pure, unadulterated. When you kill women and children, you know, rape and murder Mm -hmm. and do it all in the name of your God, that is Mm -hmm. that is evil. It's not the same, you know, I don't, it's, it's a horrific thing. And then to see what's going on there um, and, and to watch the, and especially to see it in real time now, it's, uh, it's astonishing. And yes, I think we need to stand in support of, uh, of those kind of people. It's, um, it's something that really grips our hearts, right? And as it should, 
But this isn't just something that I am being emotional about. This is just a, a, a principle that I think many of us stand on that we need to stand with our allies, you know, be that that good uh, that good buddy that's going to come to their defense on the playground. This is uh, something that I tried to highlight. There was a need for this. Uh, if you follow anything with Israel is that they are a light on a hill in the Middle East uh, amidst a very dark world. Um, Israel is uh, a democratic state that is open to uh, people's uh, freedom of religion and, and everyone's entitled to their opinion and they help those who are in need, but their neighbors around them feel quite differently about that and simply want to annihilate them because they are Jews. And that's a big distinction between um, us wanting to uh, do similar actions in the state for other countries. This is standing with our allies because they are specifically targeted for their race and religion. Right. And that's something that we can't stand for. Well, and the U.S. has done a pretty good job overall. I mean, they've supported the, they've supported the formation of Israel in 48 to begin with. Uh, and then since then, we've, uh, you know, we've given them, well, nearly half a trillion dollars in age, $480 billion or something in aid uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've done we've done some good work with them. They are one of our closest allies, and we should stand with them in whatever way that we can do. Um, but uh, you know, again, just the the the, hor- the horrific nature of these attacks is just um, is just most frustrating. And of course, now we're finding out that uh, some of the mullahs or whatever are calling for basically a global day of jihad. Uh, on tomorrow, Friday the thirteenth. Well, that's ominous. So uh, we need to be, you know, careful and paying and watching it, you know, paying attention and watching to what's going on. Uh, I want to talk about the specifics of HB two here in just a minute, but we're going to take a quick break. So we'll uh, we'll hold with you here in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Sarah Vance is our guest. We're going to continue with her here in just a moment, talking about again HB two, the Israel uh, anti discrimination. Uh, bill, and we're going to talk with her about that Israel Anti Discrimination Act that uh, is HB two. Sarah Vance is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with more and Sarah Vance right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Sarah Vance uh, continues with us uh, as our guest when we uh, get back to... Oh, are you knitting? Oh man, she's knitting. Um, she's doing the. She's doing, my wife. It's my wife. Every she's doing socks for Christmas right now on the couch every night. My wife is over there doing her thing with her little sticks, and I say you're making socks too as well. Uh, Sarah Vance, uh, our guest um, uh, here on the program. Uh, what else is going on, Sarah? Are you uh, are you all ready for the madness? Uh, I mean, it's only a couple months away, right? And you get to jump in with both feet and. Uh, Man, I can't wait, huh? Can't wait. 
Well, I'm gearing up. I'm, you know, working on legislation, uh, making sure that I'm doing my homework. And I've been uh, busy engaged in um, conversations, educating the public about uh, House Bill 68, which is a crime against sex and human trafficking. In fact, tomorrow, uh, Jake and I will be attending uh, an event that a four day uh training on uh, search and rescue for missing persons and those who are trafficked. Uh, not because I think that I'm going to be specifically participating in search and rescue, but because I want to learn and understand everything that I can about the issue in Alaska. Uh, that's happening up in Soldotna. They still have some room available. You can contact uh, a new organization called Trafficking No More. Uh, incredible opportunity. There's just so many issues going on right now. Um, a lot of fisheries issues. If you've been following that at all, um, yeah, you know, just I'm trying to stay on top of things, making sure I'm representing the people. Um, always, always, always at work. I would love to. Um, I, we need to talk more about the fisheries. Uh, my ex my knowledge and experience is limited to the fact that I was a commercial fisherman when I was younger um, and kind of my reading on it. But I just don't have enough information a lot of times. We were talking about the crab harvest um, the other day. And uh, I, I really would love to have a – if you know any experts in the field that would like to come on and talk about it, just point them in my direction or, or give me the contact info because I think we need to have a show about the fish management, the, the you know, the, the crabbing, the, the halibut, the uh, lingcod, everything else. I think we need to have a, a conversation about that and what's going on in Alaskan waters because – we're struggling, man. We are struggling right now, and I don't know. I don't know exactly how to fix it. So, it'd be interesting to have an expert on to talk more about these kind of things. Well, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to start handing out your phone number, Michael. Hand, hand it out. Write it on the bathroom wall. Whatever you need to do with it. Get more people. It's. I've had the same phone number for thirty-five years. I just realized the other day, and I'm like, no wonder people still call me from wherever. It happens all the time, but right? I'm happy to do it. Well, uh, one of the topics, obviously, there's the crab fishery, salmon, halibut, um, rockfish is an area of concern among our charter fishermen now. Uh, bycatch is obviously at the top of the list because of seeing the widespread impacts of that. We're, I'm prepared to hold uh, committees in house fisheries on the issue of bycatch so that we can have a better understanding so that we can find out what we can do as a state. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm constantly, uh, you know, asked what I can do concerning our fishery. Most of the larger issues that we are seeing are happening in federal waters where I have no jurisdiction. Right. But I've been a voice uh, writing letters to the MPFMC and saying we need accountability and enforcement. We need to continue to have abundance based management. There needs to be a level playing field with the trawlers in our directed fishery, the mom and pop Alaskans who are feeding their families and supporting our economy. Uh, just so many issues. Uh, but I would, I would be more than happy to have someone come and discuss this sh issue. But um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, one of our favorite representatives from the Valley. Okay. Quickly. Kevin McCabe has been, fantastic on the fisheries committee and really addressing uh, the fishery issues. Being from Big Lake, he uh, is one that you wouldn't expect that would be so engaged, but he's 
just been such a, a breath of fresh air and a really Good. instrumental in helping me. All right, uh, Sarah Vance, our guest. We can talk more about that here in another segment. We're going to continue the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. It's a pinch. It's a pinch of intellect. That is still funny, isn't it? Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to continue right now. Sarah Vance is our guest, representative from down on the peninsula, uh, uh, chair of judiciary. She's part of the majority for the House. It's going to be interesting to see. We'll talk in the last segment about the upcoming session and uh, the departure of uh, Josiah Patk attack and, and other things. But right now we're talking about HB2 which is the Israel Anti-Discrimination Act. And so I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics um, of this and what is it, you know, what does it mean? What, what happens with it? Uh, so Sarah, give us the, give us the rundown here. What exactly does the bill say? What does it do? And give us again, kind of the mechanical components of it as well. Tell us what, what goes on here and tell you. There you it's lights, camera, action. It's all you right now. Go ahead. <laughs> my kids are trying to see the snow outside. Here oh, we go. They're trying to see. Oh, try to see the snow. out the lighting. Okay. Uh, hey, there's. It's exciting. This is our first snow, right? Yeah, first snow. The kids are like they've never seen this stuff before. Come on, it's <laughs> fine. The, isn't there a great innocence about the first snow? We all have it. You know, we're like, oh, wait a so minute, exciting. wait a minute. You said innocence and I heard, I heard discouragement because I look outside and go, oh God, <laughs> so I just drop my head every time I go outside and see it. But <clears throat> yes, I understand kids don't have the, they don't have the same impact that we do on that kind of stuff. But yes, it I is, know, it's a joyous time. For a moment. Yeah, for a moment. You know, the whimsy of it. Sure. So. The whimsy. All I can think of is my pocketbook every time it snows. Uh, go, uh, go ahead. Uh, anyway, so sorry. The mechanical aspects of HB2. What does it say? So, what does it do? Let's let's get to it. Okay. House Bill 2 uh, simply prohibits our Alaska state contracts from, uh, from us contracting with someone who chooses to boycott Israel based upon their race or religion with anything above $100,000 and an employer who has more than 10 employees. So um, it, it has specific language that protects people's freedom of speech because we do not want to infringe upon that. But it says we're going to keep an eye on who we're doing business with. We are not going to support those who are specifically targeting Israel based on discriminatory actions. If they have other business reasons that they're not going to uh, engage with them, then that's completely respected. They have every right to do that. But we want to take a stand against uh, the BDS movement and specifically think the acts of terrorism of people who just simply hate Israel because of their race or religion. You, that's the skinny of HB2. BDS movement. What is that? That is uh, the movement to sanction Israel. And uh, we're seeing that, you know, in, in big ways. Uh, ben and Jerry's ice cream was a part of that. Airbnb tried to do that with uh, not allowing, a, you know, different um, businesses 
And because the United States and, and specifically state, various states took a stand and saying, you might, we're not going to contract with you if you're going to engage in this. And so they walked back a lot of their policies and opened that up to Israel. So our dollars really speak loudly with these uh, businesses because they don't want to lose our business. Do you uh, boycott, divest, and sanction? Thank you. BDS is boycott, divest, and sanction, says Jake in the chat room, Um, which I hadn't heard that specific um, uh, acronym before. Uh, So is there companies that we're dealing with – Right now, are there country uh, companies that uh, that are uh, that the state may be doing business with that are part of this movement already, or is this kind of a preemptive thing on your on your part? This is preemptive for Alaska. Uh, we asked that question of the departments, and to our knowledge, we are not contracting with anyone who's uh, involved in any of the boycotts or sanctions. Uh, this is definitely preemptive, but. You know, this is this is taking a stand. I'm the type of person that does not like to wait until we have a problem in order to do the right thing. So uh, it wouldn't be affecting anything that we have currently. And again, this would only affect contracts over a hundred thousand dollars, right? So that's part of the process. And again, it would look at not necessarily the commentary from individuals who work for a company, but the overall company policy, right? So somebody could say something trashy or bad on Twitter or whatever as an individual, but if the company policy uh, doesn't again it doesn't impact their ability to have free speech and say stupid things, but if they have a corporate policy of not participating or again of boycotting, that's when that's when this law would kick in and take effect. Yes. Yeah. And there's specific language in the bill protecting people's freedom of speech. That's very important. You know, that's one of our foundational constitutional rights. We do not want to limit people. If people want to be a jerk, they can do that. Uh, people can have their opinions. This is not stopping that. This is just being uh, wise with our dollars of who our um, our public dollars are go- going to do business with, which we have a right to determine who we want to do business with as well. Now that you become more vocal about this bill, and like you said, it's already been introduced a couple years ago. Um, have you had any response from your fellow legislators? Has there been any kind of take people calling you, asking you questions or, I mean, any, you know, any input back from, uh, the current legislature? Well, the interesting thing, Michael, is that, uh, this bill has been on the house floor this last session. And, uh, there was a lot of misunderstanding around the bill. People thought that we were engaging in foreign policy and, uh, it, it failed, with a vote of 20 to 20 of split right down the middle in the house. So uh, I pulled it back to rules where it sits and uh, was going to have more conversations and get more support on the bill. Um, I'm hoping now people see the importance of this and understand this isn't dealing with foreign policy. This is Alaska state contracts and who in determining who we do business. This with. is Alaska fiscal policy is what it is. This has nothing Correct. to do with foreign policy per se, but it does have to do with where Alaska spends its dollars, which is your bailiwick, which is the bailiwick of the legislature. You guys do have that. Uh, I don't think it, again, I, I agree. I think that that's a red herring. There is, is nothing to do with foreign policy uh, at a national level. It has everything to do with how we as Alaskans spend our money, how the state as the, uh, you know, as the purveyor of Alaskans cash spends that money. And I think it's a valid, uh, I think it's a valid point. Well, you know, 
How do people feel about the $6 billion that Biden gave to Iran? I think people have strong feelings about that and where they think those dollars are being used right now. This is um, making sure that our Alaska dollars are not contributing to um, terroristic activities. And um, that's that's so important because um, we have a direct connection. It it really, really pricks our conscience that says, I, I, I don't want to be a part in any form through my tax dollars, through anything that I've contributed to this type of um, just barbaric activity. And that's why House Bill 2 takes a stand against that for Alaska. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that people reach out to their legislators and say, please support this. Call the governor's office. He needs to hear from you because this isn't something that we typically engage with. Um, One question that I do want to ask the public is um, uh, in the bill, I specifically excluded the investments of the permanent fund. That's been a lightning rod issue uh, that we have not engaged in in changing anything. They simply have a fiduciary responsibility with their investments. Well, how does the public feel about this? Do they want this included, the permanent fund included in this bill, or do they want to keep it out as we traditionally have done in Alaska? I'd like to hear from you. Because currently, and I think you mentioned this in your article, that the permanent fund has invested sixty something billion uh, million dollars in Israel's uh, in the last uh, twenty thirty years, something like that. Is that is that about right? Uh, no, those are two separate things. We've had done exports to Israel. Uh, our petroleum obviously uh, is exported to Israel, but the permanent fund does have investments in Israel. Um, but what about other companies who are choosing to boycott Israel? Should we be investing in them with our permanent fund? That's a that's a large question to ask, and maybe the permanent fund corporation needs to hear from you without the legislature having to write it into law. Well, uh, I'm happy to see that you you know authored this, put it together. Um, a little disappointed that again in your reaction when you first introduced this that they said this is a great bill if somebody other than you carried it we could support it which again just shows how petty i think politics are if you have a good bill it shouldn't matter who's carrying the water for it if it's a good bill it's a good bill not we're going to side against you just because we don't like the cut of your jib or whatever that's a that's a ridiculous thing um and so how can people uh, support the passage of this how you know how 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 should the public be involved in this um uh situation for hb2 sarah call and email your legislators the house representatives and the senators call the governor uh you can email me specifically at rep.sarah.vance at akleg.gov uh, you know we would love to hear from you this bill needs lots of support and um, we will be able to take action on it, you know, come January when we go back into session. But let the governor hear from you that this is important because he has the authority to do an administrative order that would cause this to go into effect immediately. Outside of the legislative process or it has to have HB2 to back no. it up? Uh, outside of the legislative process, the executive branch has control of our, our state contracts. Uh, now, the difference is, is that House Bill 2, the passage of it would make it permanent law. 
So it couldn't be reversed by a, a subsequent governor. They couldn't come in and reverse that. So the governor could do it on his right. own now through executive action, and it would be there as long as it remained there until some other governor decided to reverse it. Or with the law, they wouldn't be able to after that. Correct. Right. So, again, email, call, write, write your Congress critter, your legislative critter, uh, and do that. Um, and, and I'm hoping 20 to 20, that bl- kind of blows my mind that the 20 to 20 uh, break, to me, this is a pretty much a no-brainer as far as that goes. Uh, because, again, you do see how some of these companies, the Ben and Jerry's thing is, <clears throat> there are many companies out there that are doing this kind of stuff. And this is why we need to educate ourselves on what the stances are, especially if some of these companies who are very vocal in their support of things like that, you can still dislike what's happening on the West bank and in Gaza. You could be unhappy about it, but to wish and to celebrate the destruction, rape, murder, and pillage of a whole people is, um, it's heinous. It really is heinous. And I refuse to give no matter how much I like, Chiggly Wiggly or whatever their favorite ice cream is, as much as much as I like that, I'm not giving them another dollar because of the actions of companies like that uh, and others. And I'll <clears throat> I do my best to try and educate myself on what uh, some of these other co- companies are doing. But definitely a frustrating, uh, a frustrating thing. Uh, final thoughts on HB2, Sarah, before we go to break and then we'll come back and talk about the uh, upcoming session. You know, there's a, an, an important distinction that I don't want to miss here. Uh, regarding supporting Israel with this bill is that this has in no way engages with the politics of Israel and their government. It does not mention that at all. Um, I don't follow the politics of Israel as far as what their government is doing or not doing. This isn't about that. This allows them to continue to to engage in their own manner um, as a democratic nation but this just says we're going to stand with our allies. We're not going to be involved in um, in the discriminatory actions by people who are trying to annihilate the people of Israel. That's an important distinction that I want to make right now is that um, this is not su- um, supporting or engaging whatever the politics are going on. This is supporting the people of Israel. Sarah Vance is our guest, uh, legislator representative, legislative representative for the uh, Lower Peninsula there. Uh, she uh, joins us today. We've been talking about HB2. If you want to support uh, or show your support for this bill, again, you can send uh, emails to your own reps or you can send an email to rep Sarah Vance at rep.sarah.vance at akleg.gov and she'll include those in the committee. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, we can get some movement on this. I think this would be a good move. I mean, it doesn't move the needle on government spending or anything else. It just makes sure that the money that does get spent is not supporting uh, people who are evil. <laughs> I just don't know how else to say it. I don't I don't think that there is another way to say it at this point. All right, we're going to continue here in a moment. We're going to talk with Sarah about the upcoming session. The departure of Josiah Patkatak and the potential for shift, which is pretty low, but what does she think? We'll get her take on that and continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Don't forget you can join us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live. If you want to be part of the chat room right now, just you and me and 50 of my closest friends out here on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, come out and join us. We appreciate it. We will be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. 
If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Oh, look, a hot dog. <laughs> it's a hot dog. It's a wiener dog. Uh, is this your new puppy? Uh, this is this is Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell. Oh, what a cutie pie. What a cutie pie. She's five months now. Oh, wow. But she's highly distracted by the children getting ready to leave for school. Uh, she mourns when they leave in the morning. Oh, no. It's like, I get so sad. I'm so sad. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Uh, man, it makes me miss my dog. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, we got a, we got a new dog for, uh, got a new dog for Terry. Um, uh, a couple months before she lost her old dog, which is good. We kind of got the overlap there, but, uh, new dogs are fun. New dogs are fun and they definitely give you the love that you need. It's a good, it's a hot dog without a bun. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a hot dog without a bun. And Melissa says, I want the baby. I want the baby. Uh, I never thought I would be kind of a smaller dog person, but it turns out, yeah, I'm a smaller dog. I'm a Boston Terrier guy. And, uh, I miss my Boston uh, immensely. One of these days, when I get all these kids out of the house, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I lucked out the first one. The first one I got for a couple hundred bucks. Uh, uh, but, oh. yeah, Boston Terriers, definitely not a uh, – <clears throat> it's like $1,500 for down – like, there's only like two – one breeder's down in Homer and one is somewhere else, and they're both mm -hmm. like 15, 1800 bucks or something. Anyway, uh, first hashtag – first world problems you know uh uh yeah so good yep it's good to have a do you do you bring the pup with you or do you leave the pup at home when you go down to juno i i have permission from my landlord to bring her so i'm i'm working on training her as an office dog right now you know to be warm to people and she sits on my lap when i'm working on my computer and things like that so we'll see i want to bring her because you know she's just so therapeutic and and, uh, you know, reduces the stress instead yeah. of me yelling, shaking my fist, I can just pet yeah, my dog. Yeah, exactly. Emotional support animal, emotional yes. support animal. Um, and, uh, Randy says, Randy, um, I support Israel. I think it would be good for the legislature to pass a resolution in support of Israel and condemning attacks. But I wonder if HB two is premature since there's no present examples of where the state of Alaska is doing business with a contractor that is discriminating against Israel. Uh, you kind of covered this, but I'll let you retread that ground a little bit there, Sarah, uh, as you said, you're not somebody who waits around for something like that. Randy, if we waited until there were discriminatory actions, it would be a little late. Um, because the state would already be contracting with someone. We want to honor our word and not break contracts with anyone. And then we would be supporting um, actions that we don't agree with. So that's why I want to get ahead of this and say, uh, we're, we're not going to ever be a part of contracting and doing business with someone who's going to just fund terrorism. Acts of discrimination uh, based upon race or religion is something that we are just principally against as Americans and specifically Alaskans. So that's why I want to get ahead of this. Absolutely. Uh, Rick says, uh, good job, Sarah. You're an excellent legislator. Can I ask, have you talked to the governor lately or has anybody seen him? People are wondering, has he been kidnapped? Is the aliens here? I mean, is it? Have you had a chance to talk with the governor as of late, or uh, or or seen him around, or anything? 
I have. I talked to him. I, it was either a week or two ago. I the time goes by really fast. Uh, talking about you know priorities that we can work on together in the next session. Uh, he, I just uh, had a meeting with his office yesterday on you know just some of the bills in my committees, uh, things like that. And I talked about the the need to prioritize roads in my district. That we need some help. There's a lot of things that if is if his office could give a nudge to the department on, um, you know, would be helpful. So I have been in discussions. He is here. Uh, he's he's working just like the rest of us. Uh, unfortunately, we can't always be in, in everywhere at the same time. Yeah. No. It uh, it it is definitely. Uh... I, I mean, I, 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 I agree with, um, I, I agree with the kind of the sentiments that Rick is putting out there because I mean, I would love to see, I would love to see, uh, the governor more. I think he needs to be more involved, um, in, uh, well, not more involved, more engaged with the public, um, on some of these things. And I would really, uh, you know, I, I think he's missing an opportunity, um, to uh to to engage with the public i mean he he would have support if he would only talk to us um i haven't had the governor on the program in well i I, it's got to be over a year and a half i think maybe close to two years now every time Mm -hmm. i ask i don't get it when he did come on the program he could only be on for nine minutes to talk about you know, his one thing that he wanted to talk about, not what we wanted to talk about. So maybe you can whisper in the ear of somebody there that it would be really nice if he would come out and engage with the public that elected him. I mean, I think that that would be, I don't think it's too much to ask, especially since we asked him to come on and he uh, agreed to come on on a regular basis. So, all right. uh, Three seconds out. Uh, The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio. Let's continue. Here we go. Okay, one final segment with Sarah Vance and Liberty Bell, her sidekick, a little tiny dog. Uh, Sarah, uh, of course, uh, you know, we understand. I don't have, let me let me phrase this properly. I don't have high hopes for the next legislative session, the next half of the legislative session. Uh, because although the House has got a good majority in it right now, the Senate obviously is a hot flaming brown poo mess and so i just don't see a lot of i don't see a lot of things happening in cooperation let's just put it that way but of course with the departure of josiah patkatak who's now been elected mayor of the north slope borough uh and the governor having to uh nominate his replacement um this could lead us to some interesting things because the verbiage of the statute says that the candidate is supposed to come from uh, the excuse me, the new nominee is supposed to come from the previous representatives or senators party. Uh, Pack attack is an independent undeclared. And so it could come from anywhere. And since the majority in the legislature uh, in the in the House is so close there, somebody is, you know, some people are saying, well, it probably won't happen, but it could potentially happen. A shift of power. There could be a reorganization. 
What's your take on what's going on? I mean, I like Pat Kattak. I've always thought he was, I didn't always agree with him, but I always thought he was, again, kind of a common sense, middle of the road guy. I liked him. I'm sad to see him leave. <clears throat> but what do you think is going to happen in the upcoming uh, session with that? Uh, how do you see this playing out? Is there a possibility of reorganization? Uh, is that something you're concerned about? Give me, give me your thoughts here on this. Well, Michael, there's always a possibility of reorganization. That can happen at any time. And uh, I think that keeps us humble, keeps us working together. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who's, who it is. Um, Alaska hasn't had a super majority in quite some time. So, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we are working together, um, that, you know, um, Josiah has been fantastic. He's a good man. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited for him to be the North Silboro mayor, but I'm, I am heartbroken that he's not going to be with us anymore. Uh, you know, he's, he's just really knows how to bring people together, um, for for this appointment, we have to keep in mind that this is the governor's appointment. Uh, yes, he has he can only pull from the names that are submitted to him, but I think he's going to try to look at the best interest of the state and who he can work with, who can, who can work with us, and um, we'll find out in the next thirty days, uh, you know, who that is. Are you? <laughs> the kids just left, and the dog is sad. Uh, do you? Uh, do I mean? I guess again. Do you have any? I know you. We've got to wait, but do you have concerns? I mean, is the you know the governor? I would assume would pull somebody from the same vein philosophically, uh, maybe not by party, but but philosophically. Uh, do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess, do you have a concern in that? I know you said it's always a possibility. You know, reorganization is always a possibility. Give me Vegas odds on it. I mean, do you think that there's a 10%, 20%, 30%, 50% chance of reorganization? Do you want to you want to? I'm, some... I'm not very good at that, Michael. Um, I feel confident that we're going to keep the current majority that we have. I have a feeling that um, the new appointment will want to be in the majority with us. We have the Bush caucus uh, who uh, we are uh, getting along with nicely. They've, um, you know, obviously there's things that we don't agree on. And because we're a non-binding caucus, they can vote uh, according to the needs of their district and their conscience, which I highly respect because I get to vote that way. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that we're going to be okay. I really do. And, you know, for people in the North Slope Borough, uh, we have to remember that they voted for Trump. Uh, their their values, their principles are are very um, very reasonable. They're very uh, family oriented, things like that. So um, I think that whoever we get is is going to want to work with us, where we can find a lot of alignment. And um, I'm just going in with a positive note. Sarah Vance is our guest, uh, is uh, <clears throat> our guest here talking about the upcoming legislative session uh, and things like that, uh, and whether or not the, the change for Pat Kattak could, uh, could mean a change uh, overall for the, uh, for the legislature. What do you see coming out of the uh, what do you see coming out of this next session? Again, I, as I said, I don't have high hopes. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not even cautiously optimistic because I've seen what happens. We saw what happened at the end of the last session, the hand grenade that the Senate essentially handed the House, uh, the, you know, kind of the the 
the the hostage negotiation thing where they basically said it's our way or the highway and we're leaving so see you later um and i i have a feeling that this you know even though that may not happen because that was kind of a surprise attack um i just don't see this being easy i guess you know as much as as much as i hate to say that anything in the legislature is easy i i don't i don't think it's going to be a fun time what what say you well, that was going to be my comment. Is it ever easy, Michael? Uh, you know, that's it. things are never easy in the legislature and they shouldn't be because otherwise look at all the bills that we would have flying through if everything were easy. Um, you know, I'm I'm gearing up for a challenging year for a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, when the second session is when everyone wants their bill to move and pass, because if it doesn't, it dies and they would have to reintroduce something for the next uh, legislature. Uh, so there's always that pressure uh, that comes when everyone has this great urgency. It's also an election year. So I think you will see uh, some of the attitudes change a little bit on what they're willing to do and not willing to do because they know that the public is going to be keeping a close eye on them. Uh, so there are some positives that can come out of that because of that direct relationship with the people. Right. The pressure, uh, the pressure of the election. Yeah, you know, because people got a short term memory. But if it happens two months or three months before election, they'll remember that. Right. They just won't remember. So now is the time to get some of these votes on record that, you know, like full PFD and some of these other things that should happen um, because they will remember that come election season. Yes. So there's, we may not be achieving all of the things that we want right now, but there's a lot of things that uh, we are, are holding at bay. And I think there's some areas that we will see movement on. And one of those is House Bill 68, the crime against sex and human trafficking. That one, um, I, I felt like I solved the partisan issue in House Judiciary and um, hoping that we are able to finally see movement on that. Um, there are some areas of law that we need to work on that may not be, you know, highline topics uh, that that we feel are are necessary. That we may not get everything in the budget, um, but hopefully we can continue doing good work in general. Um, you know, it's just one of those things you just suck it up and get the best that you can. Sarah Vance, uh, our guest here uh, on the program. Um, Sarah, what are some of the things that you're going to be focusing on? Uh, because it is, we're down to the last three minutes here, so we don't have a lot of time, but what are some of the things that you're going to be focusing on outside of HB2? Anything else you want to give us a heads up on that uh, we can help support or that uh, you think are important? I'm uh, waiting for the actuarial, the the numbers to come back on House Bill 21, the school health care consolidation bill that has the potential to save us millions of dollars in uh, our health care costs for education. I'm waiting for the numbers to see if the, the concept uh, will work for us as a state and hoping that uh, that comes back favorably. It has bipartisan support. And uh, that has the potential to really make a positive Im impact on um, doing business wisely. The budget, the size of the budget, it's uh, difficult. We're seeing, again, the push for more funding for education. And, of course, the big elephant in the room, which nobody really seems to be talking about the cost of, which is the defined benefits package that keeps getting pushed forward and forward and forward and forward. Um this is going to be the struggle. And you're right. There's nothing in the legislature is ever easy, 
Uh, I just would think that it would be <laughs> it'd be better if you had uh, chambers that were aligned as far as their majorities and everything else. But um, final thoughts here. I'll give you the last two minutes, um, you know, on on things like defined benefits and the school funding and things like that. Are those fights going to be as well, as nasty as it was last year over education, et cetera? I think that we're definitely going to see those again because it's an election year and people are wanting to uh, put put the public pressure and try to to make things out to be, um, you know, a highliner. But, uh, you know, we have to do what's what's wise for the state in the long term. And some of those just are 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 too big of a bite. And uh, without a fiscal plan, it's just not possible. We've got to have a fiscal plan. And, of course, the problem is is that we're stuck on this whole stupid one-subject rule, which, I mean, I think so many uh, initiatives have busted and everything. But, I mean, we're stuck on this where we can't, you know, holi- it's supposed to be done holistically where everything's done essentially at once. But because we've started to trickle things, it, we saw it happen with the spending cap bill. You know, at the last minute it was amended to include the dividend, which completely blows the whole thing out of the water. Um, it's going to be a tough fight to try and get all these individual pieces coordinated to bring them back. But it's there's got to be some kind of – and the fiscal plan just can't be, oh, 75-25, that's our fiscal plan. Because, again, in five years, that'll all be gone, and there'll be taxes anyway. So we should be tackling this thing head on from the beginning, and nobody seems to be willing to do it. Uh, Sarah Vance, 60 seconds, uh, any final things you want to say? I just want to say how much it is a joy it is serving you. Uh, it's hard work, but uh, I love the people. And, you know, stay safe on the roads today. Remember, people just seem to lose their minds on the first snow as drivers. So keep your eyes open and uh, hug your babies before you leave the house, because uh, there's been a lot of accidents on the road. And we want to make sure that uh, you're keeping them in mind as you drive. Absolutely. Uh, We want to stay safe out there. Uh, It's going to be icy uh, in some areas, uh, not in all, but even where it's right on the edge of freezing, it can get nasty. So be very careful. Sarah Vance, thank you so much for coming on board. We appreciate it. Thank you for Liberty Bell for joining us as well. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Firearms Friday, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Final bite at the apple, kid. Give me, give me what you got. Give me your best shot. Anything we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? Anything else? Hit me with it. Oh, I, I encourage people if they want to be a part of the anti-human trafficking training uh, in Soldatna. This it starts tomorrow. It's a four-day training on search and rescue that you can do something tangible with. Uh, we have more missing people. We have uh, double the national average of missing persons in Alaska. Our human trafficking statistics are just um, heart-wrenching. This is something that you can do. And um, reach out to my office if you want to be a part of that. All right. Well, that does it for today. Thanks for coming on. I didn't. I, I just want to point out again that I didn't ask you to join us in the first hour because I know that. I appreciate that, Michael. That's, that's above and beyond the call. Of, that I reserve the right to ask you in the future into the first hour. But uh, we got to let you get your beauty sleep. And uh, so we appreciate you coming on board. Thanks so much. I miss my dog now. Holy cow. I just want to just want to hold him and pet him and love him and scrub him and do everything else. Thank you for coming on board. Uh, appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Okay. Have a good morning. All right. You too. Uh, folks, that uh, pretty much wraps up the show for today. 
Dang, that was fast, wasn't it? Good show. I feel I feel it was a strong show. If you missed JD to Chili in the first hour, I recommend you go back and listen. That was a great interview. And then, of course, Sarah Vance. Don't forget, you could share the show. Um, if we'd like to get more people involved, they've got to know about it. Some people just don't know about the show, which, I mean, it's fine. It's understandable. But you could do your part by simply hitting share from wherever you're at. If you're on Facebook, you're on YouTube, you're on Twitch, you could share it to your socials and tell people you want to know what's going on in Alaska. Here's where you go. That's It's pretty simple. Don't forget, you can also join the Common Sense Corps if you want to help us out, help support the show, get access to the private Facebook page and more. All good stuff there as well. All right, my friends, I'm out of here. I'm going to go drive carefully, apparently, into Anchorage after I have a cup of coffee. All right, we will see you guys tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Be kind, love one another, live well. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show